Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. Welcome to episode two of SOB, Son of a Bitch. I am, I guess, the bitch, Shannon Livingston. And I'm the son. What is your name? My name is Joe. Oh my goodness, I knew that recording in the morning was going to be an issue. You're going to irritate me during this whole episode. And that's why it's good content. (sighs) All right, so um, today, oh, and also we have Tim here. We can't, it's actually his place, so we should say hello to him and introduce him. And I just just snuck in on this one, you know, I I kind of like, I'm trying to get out, and we're like, no. I'm kind of, you know, trying to, you know, be involved. I, I really like it because... Sitting in here with you guys, I just laughed my butt off. I was actually doing a little editing on the last one. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, because it went pretty much straight through, and I'm laughing my butt off at you guys. Well, we need a straight man. You know, you add that perspective that doesn't, uh, that a lot of people don't get, because if we're the only ones talking and no one can connect to what we're saying, then, you know, you're the, the audience. You're the normal one. How does that feel? Well... <laughs> Let's not go that far, We're Shannon. Come on now, seriously. Like, trouble. yeah, no. No, but really, uh, uh, Tim Jarrett, you are the um, producer of our podcast, and you do so in the 239 studio, which is just beautiful and fantastic. And we're going to add some video components um, down the road so that everyone else can appreciate it the way that we do. So thank you so much for having us in the studio and, and taking us on. And I know that you're trying to push the baby birds out of the nest and um, trying not to sit in on these episodes. But I think you really do add a lot. And um, sometimes Joe and I do need a mediator or, you know, a referee, I guess. So today we are actually going to talk about um, something that you suggested, Tim, and that is our past with the Kansas City mob. And the Chicago mob, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about both of them. But it, it's a topic that is very interesting, of course, in, in pop culture. Um, but it's a little different when you live it. And Joe and I have had a lot of conversations about um, mobsters and morals. And so that's kind of our topic today, mobsters and morals. And, uh, you know, do you get rid of all your morals to hang out with mobsters? Do you learn something? Do they have any morals? How does it all fit together? I learned a lot from spending time with mobsters. I mean, you know, first of all, I think things might have been different had I been older than six. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you really couldn't no. run too much yeah, at six years really old. they weren't really planning on they putting me to They tried to give work. you some numbers, but <laughs> your return was not good. But, you know, at the time, <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I'm sure it would be different if I had met these people today, but at mm-hmm. the time, I didn't really have a perspective of who they were, what types of things they were doing or had done, or, you know, to me, they were just old men. Right. So I would show up and play shuffleboard <laughs> and eat well, their sugar-free cookies it, and have it a good actually, time. It started before that. Um, you know, I have a long history with the mob and it really kind of started in Chicago 
where Joe was born. Right. And it, it's crazy because Joe is the Italian. I'm not Italian. And so Joe is actually Sicilian. I'm a quarter Sicilian. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm the one with the, the ties. But a shared um, contact of Joe's and mine was in Chicago, Slicker Sam. And Slicker was the nicest guy. Of course, I think all these guys were nice. They, they treated Slicker me really Sam. Nice. Slicker uh, Sam. So Slicker Sam was his name. Always looked really sharp. Um, he used to run these uh, golf tournaments. And actually, there's a whole chapter about him in the Golfer's Chicken Soup for the Soul book. Remember those old Chicken Soup for the Soul books? And then they had like the different... Yeah, a whole million of those things. So the Golfer's one has one about how he used to do these um, these golf tournaments, these fundraisers, and he would, you know, give away Cadillacs and all of these things. And I think he did Sinatra's uh, tournament at one point. But anyway, um, I knew him through Joe's grandfather, also named Sam. Mm-hmm. Everyone in Chicago is named Sam. Half that side of my family, they're all named Sam. <laughs> the, yeah, the, even the girls, Samantha, does you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his name was actually, I think, Salvador Samuel, which was Sam Sam. Uh, but so your grandfather, Sam... Um, he, or, and your family still has a fishing island in Canada. Yep. And so some of those guys, the guys in Chicago, t- used to go fishing together uh, up in that island. You oh, know? yeah, I've seen pictures. And there weren't any, you know, law enforcement around. And, um, and you can do whatever you want up there. Right. And so we don't really know what they did, but I think it was just fishing. They, I, I know most of what they did. And, yeah, they, there was not a lot of hijinks going on. That was their, their time off. Their time off. That's you know. so funny. So it was like camp, like mobs. Yeah, camp I mean, up there. Yeah, it's got to be exhausting running around the city doing all that craziness. So they, I think, wanted to just kind of lay low and chill out. And far as I know, that's what they did. Yeah, and so um, you you started having surgery at I think six seven months old, and it was in Chicago. And so Slicker, um, I met I think when I was pregnant with you, and then of course he was you know part of the family and. Um, knew that you were going through different surgery and, and really liked you. All of those Italian guys loved kids, and you were a good baby. You know, you didn't cry. You were cute. Um, you took after me, thank goodness. Very mm, cute. Boy. So, uh, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> you know, so we used to go downtown to the hospital because we lived in the suburbs, and he had a restaurant down there. And I really didn't know about his connections or anything. And, you know, there was no Internet. I wasn't from Chicago. So I just thought it was a nice older guy that went fishing with your grandfather and owned a restaurant. Right. And I remember taking you in one time. You were in the stroller. And I think you couldn't even sit up yet. Um, you know, it, it took you a long time, but so you're in the stroller and we go in to see Sam and, uh, his wife, I think her name was Zoe and they invite us into the table and he's feeding you Italian ice. <laughs> and I look over and there's like this receiving line of people waiting to talk to him and he's getting irritated and he's going, I'm feeding the baby. I'm feeding the baby. <laughs> and so I said, you know, we, we can go. Like, it looks like you're a little busy no, here. No, no. And he's like, no, no, no. So, um, and Slicker was actually one of the first men to have faith in me and to kind of spark that in myself. And I'm sure he never knew that he's, uh, you know, since passed. But when I was leaving Joe's father, um, he, he was running a, a tournament, a golf tournament, and one of the prizes was the television. And he said, you know, I, I just want you to know that I really know you're going to do a good job. You're a good mom. You're going to be okay. Um, and he said, do you need a television? And I said, well, yeah, I need everything. I, you know, I don't, I don't have anything. As we were moving from uh, Chicago to Kansas City, 
into a different house. And so, um, miraculously, Joe Labosco was the winner of that raffle item at that <laughs> golf tournament when he was about, you know, a year old. What so. a mystery. And it was a nice TV for <laughs> 25 years ago. I bet it was. Yeah, yeah that was our TV the, for a long time. It had the built-in VCR right in the in the bottom right. when that was so a big fancy. deal. And the little red, white, and yellow, I forget what those things are called, but... The um, little cable. Yeah, I had that TV for... RGB. 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 and those things are good, and I've yeah. I've seen those, and I think right now if you can get a decent one, it's they're they're crazy as far as price goes. Right. I saw some of those things. If you can get a good one, so we we moved from uh, Chicago to Kansas City. Joe was about a year old. He had had I think two brain surgeries um, at this point. The first one where we talked about in episode one. If you haven't listened, go back. Uh, where they actually removed the skull from his head and then gave him back to me without the top of his skull. And then the second one, you know, thank goodness they put it back on. So uh, so he had had those two surgeries at least, I think, at that point. And um, I was ready to go. And so I begged my parents to let me come back for a year. And, and I did. And, um, you know, as I discussed on, again, on episode one, we were on Medicaid, which is, you know, government-subsidized health care. And it had an income guideline, which I think it was a thousand a month or something like that. And and you couldn't own anything. You couldn't own a house or a car or Jesus. a couch or you know Crazy. anything else. Um, you know you were supposed to give it over to the state because they were keeping you alive, paying for stuff. And it didn't pay for everything. And you know I didn't um, like the dentist that they had in Medicaid. You know, no offense to Medicaid dentists out there, but y'all are awful. And I, <laughs> I, I paid out of pocket for a lot of stuff. My um, teeth were destroyed by those operations anyway. So. Well, they didn't ever... Um, I have no enamel right. on my teeth. So oh, okay. It's not that they're, they're destroyed. They're, you actually have very healthy teeth. Uh, but they didn't ever form the enamel because of some of the antibiotic that you had to take after one of your surgeries. Um, but that's really been the only lasting thing other than the enormous scars all over your head. Yeah, but those never really bothered me because with how they came out, it actually, you know, when I cut my hair short, people are like, oh, doesn't that, you know, like, aren't you sensitive? about? I'm like, no. Right. It's, it's a zigzag line across my <laughs> It's like, your problem. Well, and nowadays people, you know, like you see people in the NBA, they're paying to get this oh, yeah. carpet right. into their head. Yours is all built in. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, so I, I had to make cash. And my history um, had been, you know, I had run a strip club in Texas. <laughs> I knew how that industry worked. Um, I knew what some of the girls were, were doing with bachelor parties and things. And, um, you know, I, through my different connections, I, I knew what the black market of cannabis was. And so I started selling weed. Um, to really make money. That she got weed. <laughs> it wasn't. And, you know, I think everybody's seen that show, um, Weeds, and it was, you know, a very interesting show, and it was nothing like that. Because people, when I tell them, you know, they, they always ask, oh, was it just like that? And no, it, it was <laughs> like being a single mom and trying to pay your right, bills. Right. Well, uh, you know, and everybody that I knew was was smoking. It's, um, you know, not like I was going out on the, the street corner of the school and trying to... Well, and I, I always found it funny that, you know, speaking of more the the moral crisis that people seem to think happens in the mind of a drug dealer you know where they're trying to poison society and sell crack to kids and like they need the money <laughs> yeah that's the bottom line it's really that simple yeah um you know and so i i did I, I needed the money i had enough connections and uh you know personal experience in those two two areas 
Um, and so that led, of course, to other cash things that, that I would do, most of them not legal. And so when you are in a small town like Kansas City and you are dealing with some members of the, the underworld and a cash-only society, you run across Italians. Kansas City is a very mobbed-up town. Um, you Still know, is, to an extent. Yeah, we haven't been there for 15 years or whatever, but, uh, you know, from what I hear, the Italians are still in charge. Um, and, you know, people don't realize that, that Kansas City was in charge of the Las Vegas skim. So the movie Casino, it's all about the Vegas skim. They kind of underplayed Kansas City's involvement. They do touch on it, though. They, they touch on it, but if you really look at the straw man case. But, yeah, they were more was involved than, than they say in the movie. Yeah, Kansas City was running the show and dividing up the money and sending it out. Um, and so that was the gentleman that I then got involved with was the man who ran that skim um, after he had done, I think, 18 years in prison. So I remember one time I was at this little bar uh, that was right around the corner from, from the house where we lived, and that's kind of where I met the, uh, the dancers that would come and give me their money or various people. We called it my office. And so I was sitting at my the office. local office. <laughs> yeah, sitting in my office. And this office happened to be owned by a gentleman who we won't use his real name because he's still out there and, according to Wikipedia, uh, still in charge. Well, we'll call him Polly. So... Uh, Polly owned this bar, and and the bar was you know how they have the the service part that's cut that flips up in a bar. Yeah. So you have walkthrough. Like, okay, so yeah. that's the walkthrough. Right. So this had the the bar, the walkthrough, and then it had like a little extension part on the other side of the walkthrough as more bar. So Polly would sit behind that extension part, and there would be three to four bar stools in front of him, and that was kind of like the VIP section, right? Like if you were one of the made guys or part of the inner circle you would go into the bar and sit at this this little section, and he was always there. And so, you know, I don't know what his business was. I'm sure he knew what my business was. <laughs> and uh, that, that was my office. And so one night I was there, and, and Polly said, uh, hey, Shanna, do me a favor. There's a friend of mine. He's going to be coming from dinner down at Macaluso's, which was, you know, a restaurant right down the road. And this is what he looks like. And he said, you know, go and mess with him. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, you know, you know how you do. Because he had always seen me, you know, I ran strip clubs. I'm good at banter. I'm good at putting guys in their place. And um, and so, you know, Polly and the other Give them the runaround. There you go. That's what we call it, it, Joe. Right, Joe? That's what we get. Get the runaround. you know, go bust balls. It was basically. (laughs) So I said, all right. So I, I walked down and immediately I said, oh, you must be Carl. And he smiled and he said something cute like, you know, well, I, I could be or, you know, something like that. Who what are do you? Want to know? Right. What do you want me to You know, to be? and I'm like 25, I think, at this point. And, I mean, look at how attractive I am now. At, at 25, I was, I was smoking. Um, so, you know, he was blessed to, to have me come and find him. And um, instantly the banter started and we became very good friends. And so that is how I connected to Carl DeLuna um, and... The rest of the world calls him Tuffy DeLuna. I was going to say, and most people did not call him Carl. It was either Mr. DeLuna, (laughs) if they really didn't know him, or if they knew him through his family, it Uh was Tuffy. Tuffy. Yeah, so, um, and you know, it's interesting that Tuffy, of course, it sounds like a tough name, but I asked him, like, we didn't talk about his current business or details of, you know. You don't ask questions Right, I didn't ask questions like that, but I did ask questions about how did you get your name? 
And um, he said, you know, when I was a kid, I was really clumsy. And I fell down a whole flight of concrete steps. And I got up and walked off. And the neighbor said, man, that kid is a real toughie. He's always hurting himself, but he gets right back up. And so he got it from being a clumsy kid. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good one. You want to stick, though. You know, that's well, definitely. He a good was one. really. He, just, he embraced it. He yeah. was really part of that generation in the time period of like you know you watch Godfather Part Two. That was basically his childhood. He was growing up in New York in the in Brooklyn thirties and forties, mm-hmm. and so that was what he did. I didn't hear a lot of those stories, but I can only imagine the type of things that he got into. Well, they moved to Kansas City. You know, when he was. 13 or, or whatever. Um, and then his mother married a guy, I think a connected guy. And so it was part of his family. Right. It, it was, you know, education was not a thing. Although he was, um, he and I connected on many intellectual levels. He was 47 years older. And um, so 47 years older, not just 47 at the time. 47 oh, no, 47 years older. He was older. in his oh. 70s by yeah. the time either one of us got to know they, him. They expected him to die in prison. And then his lawyer got him out, uh, you know, on a technicality. He, he really, they, and they didn't put him in the black book. You know, there's a black book <laughs> in Vegas and all the casinos that if you've been known to be a troublemaker or involved in, you know, what, whatever, um, illegal gambling, you go in the black book. Well, they didn't even put him in it after running the Vegas skim because they thought he was going to die in prison. So, you know. Ah, we just, we'll wait on that one. We're good. But. Yeah, so he showed them. They actually did. So he and I used to go to the casinos in Kansas City every 4th of July. He would board his dog, Bishop. Because uh, Bishop didn't like the fireworks. Forgot about the dog. And um, we would go to the casino and check in, and we always had FBI following us. We would wave to the car out in the parking lot, and uh, you know it was it was very surreal, um, definitely. But it was also my norm at the same time, if that makes sense. And so even as an adult, you know, Joe had to process that differently as a child. But even as an adult, I had had kind of a weird upbringing. I was more of a free spirit. Um, you know, and I was in my early 20s doing things on the streets for, for cash, and I needed some protection, uh, you know, against people that wanted to, to come and rob me or cut in on, on what I was doing or trying to control it or whatever. So um, we never had a conversation about it, like, hey, Carl, you know, if something happens. It was just kind of understood that I was his girlfriend, and that was that. And, you know, you, he didn't, had your back. you didn't look at me cross-eyed. Quick question now from my prior career in law enforcement when when the fbi tailed you did you ever try to like do a couple little turns or you just kind of went with it you know they when carl passed they actually did an article about him talking about how nice he was to the fbi that when they would come to raid his house or whatever he would make him coffee and and you know kind of a mama's boy he was was a a game yeah he he understood you know he played the game sometimes you got someone you wanted to cross you paid the price but right yeah he had a job they had a job and it was never personal for him now i have to say it was personal for law enforcement there there was a time when he was younger um you know that he says uh or said um he of course has passed that the kansas city police in concert with the fbi kidnapped him for three or four days and wanted him to run so they could shoot him uh you know those those were a different day a different day <laughs> a different yeah, 40 years ago yeah. but uh so th- so that was kind of my um i guess entry into you know the the mob in kansas city 
And um, I still talk to those guys. You'll, you'll never get me to say anything bad about them. I know. I know that they're killers. And, you know, I'm not naive about who they are. But they treated me like gold. And I truly feel like I was able to get out of that lifestyle because of them. Because they push so much for education and protection. Yeah, and, well, and whenever I tell these stories to people, that's one of the things I always stress is they never told me anything aside from listen to your mother, go to school, do your homework, stay out of trouble, you know, be respectful, like all things that they didn't know how to do. <laughs> right. Never had yeah, the right, opportunity right, right, to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were saying, you know, you're going to do things the right way and this is not for you. Yeah, I've talked to many gang gangbangers and and stuff in my, in my life. yeah in my career, and the first thing they'll tell you like, don't get involved in the shit. Exactly, you know, even, they don't even, want that for their kids. Yeah, no. even people that are involved in drugs, heavy heroin, right. things like right. that, they're like, this is no life for anybody. No. So they I, can't I sleep. Get that. They're always looking yeah. over their shoulder. Most yeah. of them have been to prison at least once. Oh you know, yeah, it's yeah. exhausting. Yeah. Well, so you know, I'm always interested, Joe, in in your perspective. Um, our brains work in very different ways. And so we were kind of talking about, you know, getting back to, to mobsters and, and morals right. and, and what we've learned. And, you know, do you think that somebody that commits murder, because I don't know everything that Carl did, but he did tell me the story about uh, when he was 17 and he made his bones and he was sent to um, New Orleans, yeah. actually, to be the driver for Carlos Marcello, who later was involved in the JFK assassination. Um, I mean, it, it, it's crazy how connected everything really, is. Really, really deep here. We'll cut <laughs> really. that out later. That's all documented. Again, I'm not saying anything about these people. If I use their real name, they've passed. Right, yeah. I know, and I, I would never betray any confidence. It, it's all been documented. There are movies, there are books, there are, you know. JFK was involved in the mob? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but so so he was 17 and they called him Clyde but he changed his name to Clyde and so a lot of the notes that I have from Carl he signed Clyde it was kind of our inside thing um I'll, I'll, offshoot we can talk about this in another episode but I've actually met the last remaining relatives of uh Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow they're very interesting people the Bonnie and Clyde oh, yeah, so Bonnie got, and yeah, Clyde. yeah yeah coming up with your own stories Joe making your mama proud so let's get back though now she asked that question. So, uh, the mobsters, yeah. So what were you saying? I don't know because you derailed my train of thought, which is no. You were saying so you were saying mobsters and morals. Could someone who has oh, who has committed, committed murder, murder, right? Because I do know that he committed that one. You don't so, get to that point without you know. You know, you know my brain is a, a spirograph. I don't. On. I don't have linear thought. Um, so you know. So we know that he was able to take a life in a business sense, right? It wasn't self defense. And do you feel like he had morals? Well, that's tricky because, you know, did he have his own code of ethics? Absolutely. I don't know if I would go so far as to call it morals because, you know, when you do, when you're put in a situation where you have to do the types of things that those people did, it does alter your your brain and how you deal with people, how you process things, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they have to be able to rationalize it somehow or they'll go completely insane. And he was so, very, very smart. He, right. So I'm sure that he was in his head about that a lot. Uh, <laughs> yes and no, you know, I so mean. So did you trust him? Were you afraid of him? Well, did you no, trust but also, word? yeah, I was a small child. I didn't, you know, I didn't know a lot of these yeah, things Mom. that I know now. At the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
But, but it was also, never hidden from you. No, but it's not like these were things that were brought to my immediate attention either. Right. And he he did not bring his business actively no. around. Well, I'm like, I had a driver stupid. and a bodyguard at certain times. That is how you get busted. Just to make logistics work. About those uh, but yeah, I didn't, you know, and, and there were times too when conversations at the table, I knew when it was time to go to the ladies room. I, I was very good at that. They, all right, I'll say this. I, all the people I interacted with, as far as I could tell, knew the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. I feel like there were certain times where they felt they, you know, had to cross that line. So for you don't their, think they were a for sociopath? For their own benefit. Because they knew the difference. Some of them might have been, but not none of the people I interacted with. So, you know, it's funny. They made um, bad decisions out of desperation. I was telling Joe on the way here, a, a tie-in to 239, because we're in the 239 studio, which is the Naples, Florida area, for all of our worldwide listeners. Um, there was an article that I saw on Facebook uh, this morning, because my whole reality is Facebook. I'm sorry, but that's just, it, the line is blurred now. But so, um, this article was from, I think, CNBC, and it was about the owner of Brooks Burgers, and how he's from Kansas City, and Brooks Burgers exist because he worked for, uh, Todd Brooks worked for the Hereford House for, I think, 17 years, the story said. And the owner, in concert with um, two Italian gentlemen, burned it down <laughs> for the insurance money. And so yeah. he, needed Sorry a, about that. he needed a new, you know, a new life. And um, so Naples would not have... Uh, Brooks Burgers had it not been for my old friends that burned down the Hereford house and in Kansas City. I actually ran into the owner of Brooks I ran into his wife. I Great believe, food over there. At um, I ran into her at the airport in Fort Myers going on a flight to Kansas City and uh, we were talking about where are you from? She said she was from Raytown which is where uh, you know one of the suburbs where I spent some time and that's also where Alden Smith is from for any uh, sports fans but very nice lady, wonderful food. They have donut burgers. They have lots yeah. of cool stuff. Yeah. And, and they have and Kansas City roots. Go check they, it out. they rolled the dice, right? I mean, the whole article yeah, is about... Yeah, I mean, about that's hard to do. Rolling the dice, starting over. And so I'm sure that they were not happy when my friends <laughs> burned down all of their work and hopes and dreams. I'm, I'm sorry on their behalf. Um, but... I just thought that was so funny that here's the butterfly effect of, you know, these people that, that I knew 20, 25 years ago and the effect on where I live now. So, yeah, going back to what we were saying, you know, do I believe that these people had morals? Yes, but I think they had their own code of mm-hmm. what they were and were not willing to do, and that's different than how the average citizen looks at those things. And to me, I prefer that. I trust that because that's solid it's not wavering, you know. Do well, I do I trust a socialite or a gangster more? I, mean, I, I trust that gangster every time because I know what I'm dealing with. Who don't know in organized crime? There's a reason they call it organized crime. Mm-hmm. There is a code. Mm-hmm. Well, in Kansas City, <clears throat> excuse me, Kansas City in particular is, um, I think, the only city that hasn't had high up members or members turn. So, you know, you saw New York and, and Philadelphia, um, they were taken down by, you know, cannibals, basically. They ate themselves. And Kansas City didn't do that. Of course, well, they're all related. And, well, and you asked if some of these people were sociopaths and you know, some of the mobsters I've never spent time with but done research on people like Tony Spilatro and John Gotti and those people I would classify as sociopaths. But, you know, Tony Spilatro is or was very good friends with Oscar Goodman who was um, Carl's attorney in the straw man case and then 
mayor of Las Vegas for 12 years, and his wife, Carolyn, is now the current mayor. So when I go out to Vegas, I, I try to get together with them. And, um, you know, Oscar swears that Tony was a great guy. Well, and so for those of you who don't Joe know Pesci, who right? that is, yeah, Tony Spilatro was who Joe Pesci's character right. in Casino was based on. And he yeah. was a hothead, and that was what got, he wound up dead because he couldn't control himself. Right, but, but yeah. you know, you, I think when you see a different side of somebody, we ourselves are able to justify, like, oh, well, they may have killed some people, but well, but you know, they're making their friends buy popcorn from Joe. For yeah, Cubs I mean, Scouts. you know, by the time I got to know these people, <laughs> their their heyday had long passed. You know, they were still the in, older ones. The, yeah, they were still in control. I didn't really spend time with anybody else. Right. Uh, you know, they were still in control, but it's not Allegedly. like they were out running around. You know, holding right. up people for protection right. money, or you know, they were. I saw these people like Carl. I remember about him little things like like he loved decaf. <laughs> Every well, morning, you wonder why he was hyper. Yeah. yeah. Every morning, it's like non-alcohol yeah, he, beer. He had yeah. insomnia. He was not a a good sleeper. He would actually wake up. So there was a period of time where he actually stayed in our apartment because uh, my mother had this big uh, Merriam-Webster's. Dictionary. Carl gave that to me. That was probably 15 pounds. Yeah, yeah I, rem- I remember. They used to sell those things and come Huge. around. And, well, yeah, we used to do great. crosswords. And so he... He loved brain teasers. He stayed with us for a while. And he liked that I was smart. That was his biggest attraction to me. Um, you know, as, as hot as I may think that I was at, at 20-something years old, it was really more about who I was intellectually that he liked and respected. So um, he would stay over and he would go down to the newspaper uh, thing at, you know, four in the morning when they delivered it. Of course, he became friends with everybody. And they had no idea who he was, but he's down there. Oh, yeah, the mailman, in my the robe, And yeah, the, the mail delivery or the um This was in the suburbs, so yeah, None guy. of these people knew who he was well, or what oh, was yeah. going on. And so, you know, we lived in Olathe, Kansas, which was far removed from, you know, Kansas City and Missouri. Uh, Vince used to call it the Casa de Dio because he would have to drive me sometimes. And, you know, the house of God he had to drive out to <laughs> at 3, 4 in the morning. Um, but it was a better school. So, you know, so I was out there with all of these mothers in these mom jeans that did not like me, did not understand me. I'm driving a black Cadillac wearing suits and snakeskin boots yeah, and we no were husband. Certainly not welcome in that environment. But but, but they thought that Carl, because he would, you know, he hurt his back. Just a nice old guy. Yeah, picking up the dictionary. Picking up the dictionary. So he stayed with us for a while. And um, so I gave him some Valium and I went to work and I come back for lunch to check on him. He's roaming around outside the apartment complex in, in, a robe. in my robe. <laughs> And, and he never so, took off that robe. And unless we were yeah. going out to eat, he wore He liked a robe. to be comfortable. And so uh, so the neighbors, they didn't think that I was dating this old, you know, head they of the They thought he was senile. They thought that I was a sweet lady taking care of, like, my uncle with Alzheimer's or something. Yeah. But, um, you know, so that was kind of the side of, of them that, that Joe saw. But yeah, you know, I saw these people, like I said, drinking decaf, watching Jeopardy, didn't know how to work the microwave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He, he, he drove a Buick, which I had never... I actually didn't know what a Buick was until I saw him with that car. Um, <laughs> and he had... I remember him making a point to me to tell me that the clock in his car, he always kept it an hour fast. 
Good so idea, that, So actually. that he was never late. He was <laughs> always the early. Oh, yeah. my God, he, he was drove me crazy. He a stickler for, for being early is on time, on time is late. Yeah. Well, yeah. and he documented everything. So, you know, for people that don't know, they found all of these records of the Vegas skim in Carl's house. And it was on Valentine's Day. So every Valentine's Day, he, he was hated like, Valentine's yeah, he's like, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, but so he wrote down everything. You know, he would write down what we ate and how many calories it was. And he would count down his money. He definitely had OCD. Yeah, definitely. So that so that's Carl. And I'm sure we're going to talk about him more. And we haven't even gotten to Hobo. It's so but, good. But I think that that is a good start and a good stopping point. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, you know, like I said, there's plenty more we can get into with that. There's a lot of good stories uh, about that time period, but um, we can save that for another time. Like when I was taking you to therapy and you told the therapist about our mob history and she refused to take my calls anymore? I was thinking more about... I've seen I've seen a movie on that before. <laughs> really, she like, wouldn't take my call. That's like, not. Way to go, I do Joe. not want to get involved in this. It's <laughs> not where I was going, but yeah, there's a, there's a few good stories uh, in there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so I think next time we'll do um, maybe mobsters and morals part two with uh, hobo. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, a hobo was an old bookie that was Joe's best friend when he was a little boy. It's a sweet story. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. And um, Joe, thank you for participating you you stayed awake this morning that was nice i made it i didn't even need red bull i know and tim thank you too for for sitting in with us and listening to all of our crazy stuff and laughing at appropriate moments oh it's a great time i i can't wait i'm on the edge of my seat for the next one so this is good no and then uh 239 studios thank you for coming and you guys are uh doing a great job and you know we're pushing out the information having a good time and i think that's uh, important as well and it just keeps getting better I'm having a great time. Fantastic. I'm doing great. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Peace and love. Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.